Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Well, hello. Today's theme is how should I structure my second round? This is Aurelia Flores, and we are here today with Crystal Eisenhower, PhD. She is a star in biotech, and she was named founding CEO of Aperiomics. To date, Aperiomics has raised about a million dollars with angel investment funds and 1.5 million in grants. She is in the process of opening her second funding round, and we're gonna talk today about how to price that round, how to structure that round, and who to bring in to that round. But let's talk for a moment about Periomics, which is a precision pathogen testing company, a company that harnesses the power of next generation sequencing to identify any known pathogen, bacteria, virus, fungi, or parasite in a single test. Aperiomics is the only company of its kind and scope in the world. Dr. Eisenhower is a, an expert in infectious disease diagnostics, and her mission is to change the entire thinking about pathogen diagnosis. Before Aperiomics, Dr. Eisenhower was president and chief science officer for Tysis Diagnostics in Charlottesville, Virginia, a research and development company, and that company had a successful exit. So we're excited to talk with Dr. Eisenhower and talk about Aperiomics today. And today's guest expert is McKeever Conwell, current fund manager at Maryland's Technology Development Corporation, or TEDCO. In this role, he is a member of the SEED investment team and helps source, evaluate, and make investment decisions in early stage technology companies in Maryland. He is also the manager of the Minority Business Pre-SEED Fund, which is in partnership created between TEDCO and Harbor Bank Community Development Corporation to address the needs of minority entrepreneurs in Maryland who often lack access to the earliest stage of startup capital. So Crystal and McKeever, thank you both for being on the show today. Um, so in prior shows, uh, we talked about non-traditional funding, uh, particularly our show with Sage Salvo of Words Live. Today, we're going to discuss more traditional funding um, options. And so, McKeever, before we get into the discussion and conversation, do you mind providing a baseline for our listeners by explaining the different funding rounds and how funding works with each round? Sure. So when you typically think about funding, you think about as an entrepreneur, when you first start off, the first amount of funding is usually what we call the friends, families, and other fools round. <laughs> That's the round of people who you know, who you're connected to, who trust you and believe in you. 
will simply give you that initial capital to get started. Um, from there, you have your seed round. The seed rounds typically done by either more friends and family or typically angel groups. Um, you will see some venture capitalists play in this space. Um, but really, venture capital starts to become more of a thing when you get to your next round, which is your A round. Um, a rounds are typically your first institutionalized round uh, where all the investors you have coming in are institutionalized or professional investors. And um, and that goes beyond that. So from A, they just uh, sequentially go up to B, C, D, and on. Um, but typically when you're talking about early stage entrepreneurs, you're talking about from the friends and family round to the A round, that's typically the the space where we're talking about uh, early stage startups. Let's ask you to define for our listeners a couple other things. Sometimes okay. you hear people talking about bootstrapping. What do they mean by bootstrapping? So bootstrapping means that you are basically um, funding your business yourself. Uh, bootstrapping typically means that you're a founder who's not taking money from an investor, whether it be friends, family, or otherwise. Um, that is a, a fairly common thing at the early stages, um, typically because to get to the point where you you, you can garner investment, um, a lot of investors want to see you have already done some work. So more often than not, entrepreneurs will have to start off bootstrapping where it's your own resources, it's your own capital to get yourself moving. And once you've gotten some data behind to prove that, you know, some of the assumptions you believe your product solves, that's uh, around the time investors start to come in and start to play around more. One more kind of foundational definitional piece here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people, when they hear startup, think, well, it's a start a business that is starting. But in this case, when we're talking about startups, we're talking about companies who are an- eligible for VC or angel um, funding. Do you want to talk to our listeners about what that means and what kinds of companies those are? Sure. So, and the concept of startups, right? So that term just thrown around a lot. You'll hear people call, you know, a project two guys in the garage started as a startup, and you'll hear people call Google a startup, right? Um, For me, I tend to think about a startup as a company that probably has less than 25 employees that is at the stage of trying to get to the point where they're generating you know, a million plus in annual revenue. Uh, that's for me, you'll find a lot of definitions for it. Um, also, when people hear startups, they think about high-tech companies. But you got to remember, technology is really broad. I like to say that when you think about technology, you can think about things as advanced as pharmaceuticals to apps to, if you really want to think about it, Spanx, when they were first created, were a type of technology, and that company was a startup. Um, typically, when you think about startups, though, you're thinking about companies that have high growth potential, have the potential to either exit, I mean, to be uh, bought or go public within a five to ten year lifespan, which is a little different from entrepreneurs in spaces that are considered uh, service businesses or what will qualify as uh, lifestyle businesses, where the growth trajectory isn't to be a billion dollar company, but to be, you know, a twenty, forty, fifty million dollar company sustaining a really nice lifestyle. Great. McKeever, thanks for that. 
And, and Crystal, first we want to highlight that you are a Pipeline Angels portfolio company. Uh, and as Aurelia mentioned, successfully raised angel investment funding as well as grant funding. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey with Aperiomics and where you stand now in your funding raise? Sure. So we, we founded the company um, with a phase one SBIR grant from the National Science Foundation. So um, in the life sciences, that, that's one way you can, you can found a company and not have to dig into your, your own personal coffers. So that's how we, we got started with Aperiomics. I was brought in as the, the founding CEO in 2014. I have three technical co-founders, and they were the ones who had developed the original uh, idea around a period. And they quickly realized after going through the National Science Foundation i program that um, they were not prepared, nor did they want to quit their jobs as, as professors and run a company. So that was where I came in. I was uh, recruited in to, to help them this amazing academic idea and turn it into something that had commercial legs and the ability to, to be a real um, change agent in healthcare. Yep. And Crystal, just for our listeners, I just want to define SBIR, the Small Business Innovation Research Program, which is a great program, I think, for um, companies, especially technologies or product-based companies, to tap into. Yes. And so that was our kind of pre-seed money was through the government grants. We also had some funds through the state of Virginia. And then this past fall, we closed a seed round with Pipeline Angels leading that round, and that was a half a million round and so now we are we have exceeded our milestones that we had set for that round and rather than waiting an arbitrary number of points to go on to the next round I'm accelerating the time to our next round so that we can get the additional capital we need to move out of our startup phase and into growth phase well, Crystal, I, as you know, I am an initial investor in Imperiomics. So for the listeners of the show, kind of transparency there. Um, and I know you, as you're thinking about this, I mean, this is not your first rodeo, right? You you have had um, the role of a CEO of a startup prior to Imperiomics. And so you've been kind of really thoughtful about this process, both in raising the seed round and then what, what you're going to do next and how that's going to look. So you've been considering the pros and cons about, you know, the size of this round, if we're going to open it, if you're going to open it to angels only or inviting VCs. Talk a little bit about your, um, you know, kind of thought process around all of those things. Sure. So my seed round was and families and angels. So um, because it was a, as a round and, you know, the size of that round was small enough that we could include smaller, smaller investors in the first round. As I'm, as I've started thinking about pushing in our Series A, I'm there. There's always this notion of making sure you raise enough money, but depending on how much money you you're, you need to raise, can affect what what types of investors you focus on. So obviously, my existing investors all have uh, preferential rights to participate in this round. The um, 
but where I go, you know, moving forward from that and how I, who I present the opportunity to above and beyond the current investors um, is, is sort of a question. So um, one of the, the things I was wanting to discuss as part of this call is where you, how you balance the you know, need for additional capital with potentially the more uh, more stringent terms of the venture capital group versus a smaller round continuing to focus on angels and balancing that all with you know, the stage of the company and where we are right now and how much capital we can effectively use right now. Crystal, this is Zena, and McKeever, you can chime in on this as well. So when you say Series A, are you referring to the rounds as McKeever, and this is, you know, talked about earlier, and, and, and the reason I'm asking you to break this down further is for those people out there is when you say Series A. Yes, so typically investment rounds are, that you, you name them so that you can refer to them in your documents, and each round will have slightly different terms. So, you know, you have your pre-seed money, which in our case was grant funding, the seed funding, which in our case was angels and high net worth individuals, and then the next round is a Series A, and um, and then there's a Series B, C, and and so on and so forth. Uh, so we're we're in the Series A round right now. So, Crystal, this is Christina. And first, congrats on exceeding uh, your milestones and definitely understand it's time now to really accelerate growth in your company. So as we kind of get into your, your, your challenge or question around how to structure this, this round, I want you, if you can tell us a little bit more about how you came up with at least setting the price for this next round. I actually haven't for this next round. So, so there's there's two factors that to consider when 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 opening a round. One is how much money you want to raise, and the second is what the valuation of the company will be, or what. And, and both of those amounts are negotiable. So it's again, it's a balance between how much money you need to execute on your plans for the company, and balanced with how much of the company you are to offer up for that amount of financing. So, McKeever, do you want to chime in here at all just in, in terms of kind of where Crystal is, what she just explained, and, you know, kind of helping her uh, think through how to really set this next round of funding? So there were some key things there, and, you know, the big thing is this focus around how much money should she raise and then what's the valuation? Basically, you know, how much equity you know, is she ready to give up for her company at this stage? Um, from, a, from an investment standpoint, I always like to see companies raise what they need to raise to get to their next round or get to their next big milestone, right? So it's better to set the raise or to set the amount you want to raise Based on what you need to get to your milestone versus trying to set the amount based on what investors would look for, right? Because what you don't want to do is raise too little and then you're unable to get to where you need to be. 
Um, and that's how we get these things where we see people, uh, we see companies, you know, raising a bunch of additional rounds. And what happens is the, the founders end up getting uh, more diluted over time, or losing more of the equity over time because they didn't ask for enough. Um, and at the same time, you don't want to ask for too much because if you ask for too much, the um, the investors may ask for some more preferences or more equity along the way. Um, and also, if you ask for too much and you don't hit your milestones, it's going to be vastly harder harder to ever raise money again after that, right? Um, but you really want to be very thoughtful about how much money do I actually need to get to the next milestone, and whether that be a development milestone or whether that be um, amount of time, right? So if you know you need to hit some next major milestone in revenue and to hit that, you need to hire some new employees. And after you hire those new employees, it's going to take you 12 months to get to that next big milestone. But then you want to ask for about 18 months of runway. So whatever that price is, you know. Um, if it's going to take you six months to hit that next milestone, then you want to add 12 months of runway. And the reason I add an additional six months onto what it takes to hit that milestone is once you hit that milestone and get close to hitting that milestone, the process of raising an additional round of funding uh, can take anywhere from three to six months or longer. So you just want to make sure you have that money in place to be able to forego that. Um, and you also have to think about it in the terms of with this money, if I don't hit my milestones, will my company still grow enough for me to keep moving forward, right? Because you can't always assume you're just going to raise more money. You have to assume that you're building a sustainable business that is going to keep growing in general, right? So you might not raise money in the exact timeline you're looking for, but your company might, but you want to make sure your company's still moving in the right direction. So are you raising enough to make sure you, you get your company going in that direction? Yeah, McKeever, one of the things you just mentioned in terms of, you know, um, encouraging founders to raise much, as much money as they need, one, to be profitable, but two, so that they can survive without new funding, right? And to actually start reaching those milestones with um, a periomic. So there's a compelling story. They've all already uh, demonstrated their vision and uh, customer adoption. I think, Crystal, you've got some amazing stories of uh, customers who have used the product uh, and user services. Obviously have a strong founder and credibility already with angel investors and uh, individuals like Aurelia who've already invested. Um, so let's talk a little bit about just the, um, you know, the idea of do you s structure the round and invite those investors that have already uh, supported and want are very invested in what you're doing, or you open it uh, to additional VCs? Let's talk about that. So you, you, I personally think that at the stage this company's at, they probably are at a good place to start. Um, looking for some VCs, right? But the very first thing you should do, well, as you're looking to raise a, a round of funding, right, you should have already established some relationships with potential funders beforehand, right? So as you start to lead them to your round, you can start to put out some feelers. To, let some people, to start getting some coffee, to start getting some follow-up meetings, to start letting people know that you're thinking about going around, you're not sure, you know, you want to talk to some folks, Start getting those feelers out there, right? 
After that, the very next thing you need to do is reach out to all your current investors and let them know, hey, I'm planning to open up a round. This is when it's going to open. This is how much I'm looking to, to, to raise. And, and see uh, how many of those current investors are looking to reinvest. So that they, they uh, not only, so at a minimum, they maintain the amount of equity they already have worth the investment and to see if any of them are going to re-up. Um, that is going to be a signal to any other investors you want coming in because you don't, what you don't want to do is go to raise a round and you go to an investor or a venture capitalist and you let them know, like, hey, I'm raising a round, but none of my current investors have already declared they were going to invest in me, right? No, we want to see that these people still believe in you enough that they're going to reinvest, right? Um, and once you do those two things, um, I think it's worth to start having those meetings to start really pitching to um, some new angels and to start reaching out to some venture capitalists and VCs. Uh, you will find that some VCs may come in and want, especially at the earliest, at the early stages, want to come in and own the whole round or own a large piece of the round. Um, that's worth a discussion. Um, you typically want to find a lead investor in the larger round like this. So having an investor that's willing to lead and put up um, the largest chunk of money for the round makes everything much easier because your lead investor is also the investor that sets the terms of the investment for everybody else. Um, and even for your current investors who are already committed to come in, they will typically fall under the terms of your lead investor. Um you know, I I I I frown upon people who go after venture capitalists and get a, and, and take them as a lead investor who want to cash out the current investors, especially when those current investors are angel investors. Um, there's something to be said for sticking with the people who believed in you before anybody else did, right? Uh, so entrepreneurs should be careful about that. And as you start to have those conversations, as you you know you set your number, have in your mind how much equity you're willing to give up. Because the amount of equity you're, you're willing to give up, along with the amount of, of dollars that you need to get to your next milestone, will calculate out to what your valuation should be, right? So if you say, I need $2 million to get to my next checkpoint, but I don't want to give up any more than 20% of my company, and that means... For evaluation of your company, your pre your pre money valuation should be eight million, with a post money valuation of ten million. Just to use simple math, right? And so you you kind of go in with that mindset as you talk to the investors. Now there will always be negotiation, and there may be some wiggle room, but but try to go in with those numbers in your head that you, that you want, and, and and let the conversation play out from there. Um, and also, you know, as you start to talk to whether it be other angels or venture capitalists, you know, you really want to try to get investors that have some strategic um, alignment with you, where they have, where these investors have connections to potential customers or potential partners of yours, so that those investors are bringing value. Um, sometimes you'll find investors that really love you who don't have those, those strategic uh, connections for you, but who are willing to write a big check. I would say always give the investors that you feel like to move the needle for you um, preference when going through and deciding who you want to go with. Um, and make sure you do your homework, you know. Make sure you talk to some other founders who have gotten founded through, who have gotten funded from these investors or these firms to see, you know, 
what their experience was like. Did they really make the introductions they claimed to do? Uh, how were they in the board? Because as you get to the point where you're starting to get venture funding or looking towards it, you're going to have a board. They're probably, you know, your lead investor's probably going to ask for a board seat. You know, what is it like to have that investor on that firm on the board? You know, are they helpful or are they hurtful? You know, those are things that entrepreneurs really got to have to think about as they go through the process. You've mentioned a lot of things to consider as Crystal is thinking about structuring the round. And Crystal, I know that you've really put a lot of thought into these different pieces, right? Because it's not as if they are plug and play, right? There's there's some subjectivity here, right? Okay, what are the milestones you want to meet next? Well, some people might suggest your milestone is XYZ and others might say it's ABC. And so a lot of this too is you figuring out um, what makes sense to people given that you are, you know, nicely placed in the space that you really have a sense of the industry and what's going on in the market both you know with regard to this particular product but then just the larger ecosystem you know as that goes and and then I know you have also thought a lot about the relationships between prior investors and potential new investors so talk to us a little bit to the extent you feel comfortable doing so with um, about some of these considerations that you've that you've been noodling about? Sure. And just to give a little bit of context, um, for the, the two companies I've been involved with, I've only, I, I've never raised money through a traditional capital group. So all of my investors have been um, angel, angels and um, angel groups. So from that perspective, I, I've spent a lot of time with angel investors, and I think one of the, the challenges angel investors have is this this feeling of, or this worry of being crammed down in subsequent rounds. Um, and you know, one of the points that that um, the other the other speaker made was, you, know, you want to you know he, he encourages people to you know honor and respect the people that were believed in you before anyone else did. So. And that's something that I, I feel is very important, and I don't want to structure a deal in a way that alienates the people who came out on my first round. So you know, from my perspective, I think my preference would be to focus on angel groups, because some of the angel groups can be quite large and can, can invest you know, quite large amounts of money. Because that lessens the chance of um, the, the angel investors getting cranked down in this in this round. Um, in the past, I've actually spoken to angel groups that specifically request that um, no venture funding be sought in the future, which is not really a fair request to make of, a, of an entrepreneur. But um, you know they. They believe in, in entrepreneurs, and they're willing to, to take a very high risk with the entrepreneurs. So I, I, I personally think it's very important to help you know, honor and protect that relationship. So where I am right now is leaning towards focusing on angel groups as the leads to the next round. Obviously, I, I still need to set my price and determine the valuation that my board and I are comfortable with or 
I you know, announced to my current investors that we're going to be opening a new round, but that will be coming very soon. And then it's just a matter of identifying you know, if any of my current investors are in a position to step, step up and lead the round or if I have to identify um, an outside party to lead the round. And just, again, you know, in the in the nature of definitions, because we are using this show in, in part to kind of explain some of these terms and so forth, angels are, by and large, investing their own money, right? Whereas venture capital firms are investing other people's money. So from that standpoint, pers- you know, when, when it's an angel writing a check, they are really personally invested because not only is it their money, but they have to have some kind of, you know, movement, passion, calling, generally speaking, to whatever they're investing in. Not always, but I know a lot of investors, um, angel investors and angel investor groups feel that way. Um, And so they will structure their, you know, angel rounds with um, people leading the rounds that are really bought into the company, right? Um, Whereas venture capital firms may be looking at these things a little bit more objectively, perhaps, and, and just with regard to um, outcome and and dollar signs and and let's be clear both investor groups are inv- are really interested in the outcome of course and I think there's from a personality or character standpoint a little bit of a distinction between those two um, types of investing and McKeever feel free to jump in and comment on any of that if you'd like yeah so that's that's exactly right you know angel investors are typically independently wealthy individuals investing their own money and by and large venture capitalists are investing other people's money. Um, but I, I want to address the issue about wanting to to keep angels and wanting to make sure you give your initial angel investors um, some preference as you move forward. This is the reality of it is, typically as you raise more funding, your angel investors typically aren't going to be able to keep up with the amount of funding you're going to raise, right? Because they're investing their own personal dollars. So as you go up in, in, in rounds and you raise more money, um, they won't be able to put up the additional amount of money to continue to keep the same amount of equity they have today. But what I mean by saying you're respecting their equity stakes means you just make sure you give them pro rata rights and you don't let future investors take that away. So all I'm saying is that those investors, that your angel investors, your initial investors, have the right to continue to reinvest and, and maintain the amount of equity they have so they're not being continuously deleted. But at some point, that is going to happen unless the individual or the, the angel investor has the, the ability to continue to invest enough money to maintain their stakes, right? So I'll, you don't want to get too caught up on that, right? Like... Most professional angel investors understand that that's the game they play, right? And this is also why you'll see some angel groups will invest as uh, a syndicate so that they, together as a group, can continue to invest that pro rata, that pro rata and, and, um, and you continue to do that at higher levels as it goes. But for the individuals who are doing a syndicate, who are doing just their one-off deals, they're going to get priced out as your company grows. If your company is moving towards the direction of being a hundred, two hundred million, billion dollar company, if you go to raise a C, a D, E round, 
those those individuals will typically get priced out and won't be able to, to keep up, right? But they'll still have they'll still have ownership and they'll still get a good return if there's a liquidity event. The bigger thing as you start to grow is making sure that one, you're getting enough capital to really hit the milestones you're looking to hit. And two, that you're getting capital that's smart. So at certain stages, it's really smart to have a lot of good angel investors that can continue to make some really good introductions and connections for you. At other stages, it's really smart to have sophisticated or well-connected venture firms who might have funds that are specific to your industry who, after, you know, they make their funding, they can just call up the top five potential customers you have and make those introductions and walk you right into meetings, right? Being able to balance those two things become starts to become in question at your A round, and typically by the time you get to your B round, you're, you're pretty much all in to the venture side, right? So I would say it's still worth it to consider at the A round and consider really hard about going the, the, the venture route. Just when it comes to terms, you know, really push back hard on a venture firm saying we want to chop out your, your current investors. You should you should stick up for the current investors and say, hey, I've already given the pro rata rights. They have the ability to invest in, you know, I don't know if they'll be able to, to invest the amount they need at this valuation, but they have that right, and I'm not going to take that away from them, right? That's, that's what I mean when I talk about, you know, really respecting your initial investors. Mac, this is Zena. Quick question for you. So I'm going back to that lead investor question, um, mm-hmm. comment you made. Because on our last show, um, the lead investor pulled out of that particular company. How important, can you talk a little bit more about the lead investor and how important that is? The lead investor means a lot. It's very important, right? So the lead investor is typically the investor that's going to put the most amount of money in. And they're the investor that's setting the terms, right? And they're also typically the investor whose lawyers do all the, the legal work for everybody else. Um, and the lead investor also typically does the majority of the due diligence, right? So the lead investor is the one who kind of pushes everything forward. And uh, as you start to raise money as an entrepreneur, you may start to get some handshakes and solve verbal yeses on people who want to give you investment. But won't won't make it official until you get a lead, a lead investor. Um, the 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 strongest position to go in is to go in and grab and get a, a lead investor first, because if you already have a lead investor, it's a lot easier for other investors to fall in place. Because if they like you and they want to do it, they'll just contact the lead investor, get any information they need from them, and be able to move forward um, more quickly. Um, but typically, finding a lead investor takes a little bit of time, unless you've already developed some relationships with some investors along the way. And when you say, hey, I'm ready to open up a round, somebody jumps up and is like, hey, come to my office tomorrow. Let's really sit down and talk. Right? Um, and also, be clear, once you get a lead investor, you know that's the one that you want to do the most due diligence yourself on. Because as you go to raise additional rounds, your lead investor from your current round will most likely be your lead all the way through or at least until a certain point. And so you want to know what their history is of working with companies going forward. Um, one thing that's a really scary thing for early-stage entrepreneurs, especially when getting venture funding, right, is to get 
a big name lead investor like an Andreessen Horowitz or Excel or somebody like that, Google Ventures, who doesn't reinvest in your next round. When situations like that arise, you're kind of dead in the water because then everybody else is like, well, how come they're not reinvesting, right? So understand the game as you go in with eyes wide open. I'm like, hey, I'm going to take this venture funding. That means I got to, at some point, I have to stay on these people's good side. I know, hey, I'm going to take this venture funding. And I know that this fund typically has a history of removing the around, the founding CEO by the time they get to their B round, right? Mm-hmm. So no, try to know those things going in and, and protect yourself. Crystal, are there other things that you're thinking about that we haven't covered so far? I know a lot of these things have been things you have already been been considering, but are there other things we're missing just to talk about? You know, in part with your personal and for uh, personal situation, but also just for our listeners. Um, I, I'm sorry, my wheels in my head are spinning because I'm I'm trying to to sort out how I'm I'm going to structure my around given the, the great feedback we're getting. I think the 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 thing that I'm still struggling with, well, I, so I guess one question I have is um, I'm not sure that the lead investors with my seed round will be able to um, step in and take the lead in my follow-on round. Is that a particular concern to investors or um, can you comment on that? No, because typically your lead investors in your your seed round are typically angels, right? So as you go forward, the one thing that your invest that the, the next investor you're looking to talk to, the one thing they want to let know is like, hey, have your previous investors said they want to reinvest in your next round? As long as they want to reinvest, that's a good signal. Which you don't, uh, and you know they don't have to be the lead. They just want to know they're going to reinvest. What you don't want to happen is that all your investors are or some of your investors from your first round. Say, no, nah, we're not going to follow up. We don't want to continue to invest, right? Um, that tends to be a, a, a poor signal. But right. as long as they, they say they want to reinvest and they want to take at least a, you know, some of the round up, up front, that, that, that's a good signal, right? And, and, and very often, you know, I, I see this quite often, right, where a company gets a bunch of angel investors in their seed round, and then as they go to raise their Series A and they start to talk to some institutionalized investors or some, some venture capitalists, the previous investors will all say, hey, I'm back into the next round for like 25K or 5K or 10K, just so that the, just so that the entrepreneur just so the entrepreneur doesn't say that their investors didn't, reinvest, didn't want to reinvest, right? Um, even if those investors don't have a whole bunch of money to keep pouring in, they want to do something. Just so you know, the entrepreneur can say, "Hey, my investors still believe in me, right?" And, and a lot of angel groups actually deliberately plan ahead like that, right? I mean, not yeah. all angel groups, but a lot of angel groups are thinking through, "Okay, how much can we put in in this round?" Thinking, assuming that the company is going to do well, and how much are they going to put in in the next round, and can they match that, or what? What is? Do they have a? a goal for at least a percentage of that they're, they're going to match or what what that looks like going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's very true. Just, um, you know, for most venture firms, a portion of the fund is set aside for follow-on investing. Right. For a lot of angel groups, when they make an investment, 
you know, they have those conversations of like, hey, how much money will we look to put into the next round? How much, you know, should we set aside? So that is a very common thing. Okay, great. Thank you. Mac, what are your thoughts on how should Crystal balance equity in the second round? And it's a two-part question. And how much of the company should she be prepared to give up? I mean, in your seed, in, in your in your seed round, your Series A, um, for both rounds, you're looking probably somewhere between twenty and thirty percent. It could be a little lower, it could be a little higher, but you know, kind of a market range, you know, somewhere between the twenty to thirty percent. If you're going to be giving up more than thirty percent, that investor needs to come with a whole, like a slew of assets that that benefits your company and make it worth it or a really large check. Um, and honestly, the more leverage you have, and your leverage typically is your revenue and your pace of growth. So how much are you growing week over week or month over month? How many um, deals are you closing every month? And then how much is your revenue growing by? You know, that's your leverage. And so the more leverage you have, the more you can, the more equity you get, to, you can um, push the keep, right? Um, you'll see people sometimes in their Series A round only give up 15 or 10% of the company's equity, right? And everybody, and there's less dilution there for everybody who's already in. Um, it just, it really all depends. But if you want to think about a market rate, kind of having your head somewhere between 20 to 30. And if there's anybody who wants to go higher than that, you know, really take some pause. And um, if you're going to have people go lower than that, or you want to ask for lower than that, then make sure you're prepared. Make sure you are prepared with the argument of why, and that's going to be your leverage. That's that's great information. I think it's also a lot of pieces to think through. What kinds of leverage that that Crystal has? I mean, um, part of her, you know, building the revenue and having the story and also um, I know Crystal in your case you've also really been working on um, having research and having other kinds of regulatory pieces uh, if not put in place that the foundation is starting to go and so forth so there are a lot of components to how you get leverage in in the next round and how you think about that um, go ahead to that point you know I, that was a great point right so like if you're a life sciences company um, the more IP you have for IP portfolio, that's leverage. If you need to get some FDA clearance somewhere along the way and you've already finished that, or you're somewhere down the pathway that's, that's further than like your competitors or, tip, or typically what people see in that time frame, that's leverage. So you know, depending on what industry you're in, leverage does look different. Mac, are there any other additional thoughts or advice you have for our listeners that are seeking funding? Um, when you're seeking funding, do your research. You know, really understand the firms and the investors you're you're you're, you're talking to, and 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 um, be really thoughtful about the amount. You know. How much is it really going to take you to get to your next milestone? Don't ever ask for too little because what happens is you ask for too little, you go back to your investors later and be like, hey, I didn't quite get to where I needed to, but I need more money. And your investors are going to be like, why didn't you ask for more money sooner? Right? Um, so 
really be thoughtful. And then as you go through the process of raising money, raising money is not an easy process. It's not a binary process. Um, it's a process that typically takes time. One, you're going to get a lot of no's typically. Um, you're going to do a whole lot of pitching, and it may take you up to six months. Be prepared for the grind because it is a grind. Raising money is one of the hardest things you can do. Um, and it's never-ending cycle, right? Like once you raise, you know, six to 12 months later, you're going to be looking to raise again. Just, just know going in and be prepared mentally for what that process looks like and feels like. Crystal, I, I don't know if you want to have any comments on that. I know you've been doing a lot of fundraising, and one of the things that you had mentioned previously also is kind of some of the optics versus the financials, right? I mean, could you raise, you know, are there things you could do with, let's say, 5 or $10 million versus $2 million? Of course there are, right? I mean, it's not as if there aren't plenty of things that you could do without money, and is that really kind of necessary or useful at this at this stage? And, and also being mindful of you probably not wanting to share too much in a you know public forum. Are, is there anything else you want to comment on, on with regard to that raising money or how much to raise or the optics of all of this? Well, I I, I want to echo um, the point that was made about um, being told no a lot. Uh, this is a very hard thing to do. And you have to gird your loins <laughs> because you're going to be told no a lot. And you will, you know, it, it's like a roller coaster ride. You have your lead investor all lined up and then something will happen and they back out. <laughs> you know, things like that, they, they happen all the time. So having resilience and Assistance to push through all of those challenges is really important. Um, and, you know, and at those times when somebody said, well, okay, you're raising $2 million. Well, $10 million. Couldn't you do so much more with $10 million? And I think that's another one of those balancing acts where, you know, given the current stage of the company, can you effectively deploy that capital? Or be to you know hit some more milestones before you're in a position to really effectively use that kind of capital and i think you know it, the feedback that i've gotten is you know investors really appreciate an entrepreneur that understands that distinction because they you know they can you know, start to trust that that entrepreneur is going to you know use their resources very wisely yeah that's great Crystal, are there any um, other last thoughts you want to leave with our listeners before I ask you to give our listeners contact information for the company and how people can learn more? I, I don't have anything, any other questions. Okay. Um, you know, if anyone ever is sick and they can't figure out why, give us a call and we can help you figure out. Yeah, so definitely give our listeners your website and any other ways that people can get a hold of you. So um, our website is www.aperiomics.com. It's A-P-E-R-I-O-M-I-C-S. And we've got some, some great case studies, um, people who've been sick for literally decades, and no one could figure out what was wrong. And in a matter of two weeks, we were able to... Finally, get the answers to 
get them the right treatment so they could heal and resume a, a normal quality of life. Yeah, I mean, truly the company that you are running right now is changing the face of healthcare. So really, really exciting. Absolutely. And McKeever, yeah, yeah, McKeever, do you want to give folks um, ways to get a hold of you? Yeah, so the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, send me a tweet or message me on Instagram at Mac, M-A-C, Conwell, C-O-N-W-E-L-L, or to email me, um, M-C-O-N-W-E-L-L, at tedco.md. Mac, we have to invite you back on the show because we would love to hear your story because you've um, sold a company and uh, another company that also uh, failed as well. And it would be great to have you back so you can talk about both of those experiences. And thank you for sharing your insights with Crystal and our listeners. Absolutely. Anytime you want me, I'm here. Well, thank you so much. So we've covered a lot of ground today. Um, We really wanted to um, both highlight periomics and what Dr. Eisenhower is doing with this company and also at this stage in the game, right? We talked about the different phases of investing, about building relationships with your investors, really nurturing those relationships, both with earlier investors and then starting those relationships as you go forward, knowing that you're going to be doing multiple rounds of fundraising, um, as Crystal knows. And that fundraising that Max suggested is fundraising is a really hard process. It is, it is a lot of time and energy and it's on top of everything else that of course a startup CEO needs to do. So really important to know how much equity you're willing to give up, what your numbers are, what your valuation should be. And also understand that, you know, at some level that is a subjective determination. And so there's going to be negotiation within there. Uh, One of the important things that we talked about today is really giving consideration to investors early on in the in the game so that for companies who have had investors that have believed in them from the get-go that generally speaking it is a good thing to give them some consideration and know that they understand that they may not be able to keep their um, percentage ownership as as the company moves forward and they're raising larger amounts of dollars um and then the, lots of considerations in just looking at this um, funding cycle um, as people are going through funding cycles that there are a lot of different kinds of leverage, right? Might be bringing in revenue, might be other kinds of pieces of assets such as intellectual property or regulatory, other kinds of things. So lots of things to consider in raising different rounds of funding. And in this case, uh, Crystal, we wish you and Aperi Omics lots of luck. And for our listeners, please find us at getfoundgetfunded.com, sign up for our newsletter, and don't miss an episode.